Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 more minutes with Gene Cavellos. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Billadeau. And you've tuned into a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is an opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators as we continue our odyssey to learn to better navigate those <laughs> choppy writing waters. I see what you did there, Billadeau. That was very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed, it is an odyssey. It is a quest of epic proportions. And there are some choppy waters out there. Uh, it's rarely smooth sailing on the on the ocean cruise line of, of writerly uh, goodness. Uh, so, yeah, that's exactly why we're here. Marie Bordeaux, my co-host, uh, returning once again to the comfy co-host chair here at the Roundtable Virtual Studios. Ma'am, thank you so much. I am so looking forward to this. I am very excited to be back once again. It is always a treat to be here. Indeed. It, well, we try, and there's snacks, you know, snacks and coffee, so. I, I know, they're really good this week, too, thanks, <laughs> you pulled out all the stops. I catered, I catered. Well, it's kind of important. This is this is kind of a special occasion. Um, friends, I got to tell you, our, our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With is no, no stranger to the RTP Virtual Studios. In fact, she is one of the very few guest hosts to have three sessions of writerly discourse and brainstorming fabulosity here. Uh, and, you know, if you're interested, you can hear her her superhero origin story uh, intro on her original episode back in December of 2014. Uh, but for now, let me, let me just recap the high points and recount, recount her, her qualifications as a literary badass and nerd extraordinaire. Uh, for one thing, she wrote and produced a science fiction musical at the age of 10. Uh, she studied to be an astronaut and made it to the astronaut training division at NASA's Johnson Space Center, but she ultimately discovered that the answers she was seeking about the universe wouldn't be found in the gritty mechanics of NASA. So she set off to be a different kind of explorer, mapping the terra incognita of the imagination. <laughs> she has worked at Bantam Doubleday Dell. She wrote acclaimed novels in the Babylon 5 universe. Uh, she wrote The Science of Star Wars and The Science of the X-Files, the latter of which being nominated for a Stoker Award. Uh, she raps Tolkien and used to practice telepathy on her iguana. Uh, now, each of these endeavors has added to the awesomeness of the world. Some in very profound ways, others maybe not so much. But in 1995, she embarked on a project that has enriched the lives of storytellers and story readers around the world, the Odyssey Writers' Workshop. And 21 years later, the Odyssey Writers' Workshop continues to thrive, having fostered the talents of hundreds of authors, many of whom have gone on to achieve literary awesomeness. Uh, she is a fellow seeker of the literary gold, dear friends, who delights in the creative froth of brainstorming, which pretty much makes her a cherished guest here at the Roundtable Studios. So, dear friends, please welcome back to the big chair, Jean Cavellos. Jean, I, I swore to you at our last recording that it would not be a year before we got you back again, and I kept my promise. It has been less than a year, and it's so wonderful to have you back. Thank you so much. 
I was thinking about just telepathically participating in the session, <laughs> honing my telepathic powers. But I thought perhaps for the uh, the good of the listeners, maybe I need to say something. I, I think I think that's that's the technology of the future, actually, because I think like telepathy and mime are the two things that just really don't work in an audio format. Uh, <laughs> But, well, uh, but on I, the telepathic channel, we'll have some subliminal messages coming through. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. Oh, see, and there we go. Story prompt, guys. Somebody out there, write that. That's awesome. Gene, <laughs> uh, I am I am delighted to have you back, and I'm really looking forward to delving into the creative vibe that you continue to evolve in your life, both as, as a creative professional uh, and with the Odyssey Writers Workshop. But I. I wanted to give some time before we start our 20 minutes with, because I know that there are some friends out there, believe it or not, who are not savvy to the fabulosity of the Odyssey Writers Workshop. Could you impart unto them, Gene, uh, what the Odyssey Writers Workshop is and what the opportunities are that are coming up for it? I would be happy to, Dave. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Great segue, Um, eh? (laughs) So uh, I started Odyssey uh, 21 years ago. It is a nonprofit organization, the Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust, and our mission is to help writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror to improve their work. That's it. Um, that's our mission. It may be impossible, but we're going to keep trying. <laughs> um, I loved, as an editor at Bantam Doubleday Dell, I love working with writers, and so I wanted to find a way to work more intensely. Uh, and more meaningfully with writers once I left publishing and came to focus on my own writing some more. Um, So that's why I started Odyssey. Um, So what we have coming up is we have three online classes for our winter session. And these online classes are really serious, intensive classes for people who want to put in some some work and come out with new skills that they didn't have before. Uh, We hold our classes live online with web conferencing software. So you see the teacher, you interact with the teacher and the other students, you ask questions, you have discussions, um, you can see notes on the screen. uh, And we have some serious assignments that you do and you get great, great feedback from the instructor. So, Our three deadlines are coming up in December. Um, We have a course on bringing emotional resonance to your storytelling, which I think is an area that a lot of writers struggle with. I know I still do. (laughs) Um, Making the reader feel what you want them to feel, right? So it's not just you, the author, feeling all these emotions when you're writing, but (laughs) like the reader actually feels and cares and gets involved. Um, and uh, Barbara Ashford, who's an award-winning novelist, is teaching that course, and she's really great at showing how all the different elements of a story contribute to the emotional impact and how to make them all work together. Outstanding. Um, yeah. The second course we're offering is world-building in fantasy. Oh, It's a topic people have been requesting for several years now. Um, And this is being taught by Patricia Reedy. Oh, my God. Really? uh, New York Times bestseller. And she created that awesome fantasy world building questions tool that's online. 
um, which has like a million questions about how you build your world. Yeah, she's she's like the world building maven. She is. So I'm so excited to have her. Yeah, um, and she's going to talk about you know how do you if you want to start out with a world and then make a story from it, or if you have a story idea and you need to build a world to go with it, how you do that, how you avoid inconsistencies and overcomplication and oversimplification and all of the dangers of world building. Like so like it's I'm imminent really addiction for, for, for people who just can't stop world. Does she tell you when to stop world building and write the darn darn story? <laughs> uh, I think that, that will be in there. Good, yes. good. Sign um, me up. <laughs> yes, stop that research and get out of that rabbit hole. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. And then um, there's a I'm third one? Teaching, yep, I'm going to be teaching the third course, which is Powerful Dialogue in Fantastic Fiction. Ooh. I am really, really into dialogue because it can be, you know, if you think about some of your favorite stories or favorite movies, uh, a conversation can be so powerful. It can do so many things like convey the character, advance the conflict, show this shift in the power um, so that the plot is moving ahead and generate subtext by suggesting things that it's not actually saying. I love that in dialogue. <laughs> uh, and for many years, I used to just think, you know, it had to sound believable, and you tried to make, you know, character A sound a little different than character B. Right. And that's kind of all I knew. And then <laughs> I did a lot of research and study on dialogue and found out that there's so much more to it, and it can, it can do so much more. So that's what my course is about. That's marvelous. Uh, and then we have, uh, thank you. Um, I, I'm very excited about it. Uh, and then we're offering a webinar. Since our online classes are at a specific time and you have to attend live, some people you know, are busy during that time. Uh, so if you can't make it, we have webinars, which are you know, recorded lectures that you can watch whenever you want to. And you can watch repeatedly. So we're going to be putting a new one of those up uh, starting in January, which is about creating characters and character arcs. And this is actually a lecture that occurred last summer at the Odyssey Writing Workshop right. that we video recorded. This is the first time that we've ever done this. So you can essentially be in the classroom at Odyssey, attend a lecture, uh, and the, the lecturer is Megan Spooner, who's a New York Times bestseller um, and an Odyssey graduate. And she is just awesome she had these techniques she has an acting background oh. so she had techniques for creating characters and character arcs that were different from what writers normally learn see and i've long held to the truth that that actors and and creatures of the theater who have trod the boards have a unique perspective on character and dialogue so that's that's fabulous she'd be an imminently qualified person to present that there were so many things that she brought up that i hadn't really thought about um, you know, as far as like the physicality of a character and entering into that and being able to convey that on the page, um, that really were interesting. Outstanding. Very cool. Well, and that's that's one thing I've always admired, Gene, about the Odyssey Writers Workshop is that, you know, for the longest time, it was you had to actually be there and and be sitting in the classrooms during the workshops and make the trip uh, uh, to the to the to the headquarters, to the to the university there. Uh, uh, but recently, you really have gone out of your way to to expand the resources 
not only the reach of the workshop through the online presence, but also to really just expand the resources at the Odyssey Workshop website. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, for for a number of years, we were just doing the six-week workshop, mm-hmm. and I was getting all these emails from people frustrated, wanting to learn, but they can't get away from their lives for six weeks, or they can't afford, you know, what's a, a fairly pricey experience, and certainly not getting paid for six weeks that you're away if sure. you don't have that much vacation time you can take. And so they kept asking me, isn't there something that I can do with Odyssey that is shorter or I can do from home? So that's why we've been building up these other resources. And it's really been amazing. I mean, we can help so many more people and we can help people all around the world. I mean, I have we have on these online classes, we have students in Japan and Australia and Germany and everyone, they just get up in the middle of the night and they, <laughs> there they are in class. Because that is the big challenge with the international theater these days is, is getting your time frames correct. Yes, absolutely. Well, and you've also got a fabulous podcast uh, that has been broadcasting for several years now and, and is is lauded by many of, of my peers, certainly, as, as a jewel in terms of, of helping them uh, uh, work through various writerly issues uh, with their craft. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, since we're a nonprofit, you know, we're trying to help as many writers as we can, and we're trying to offer a lot of free resources. So about once a month, we put out a new podcast, and those are excerpts from guest lectures at the um, Odyssey workshop in the summer, um, so that you can learn from those great, great lectures. Uh, We also have a blog where we do interviews with writers and offer other kinds of advice. And um, lots of resources on the website, writing tips, publishing tips. And we have a monthly salon that is um, just writing discussion. And it's online, and you just turn on your webcam and show up and um, talk about whatever writing problems you have, or we have a topic of the night. So it's uh, the second Wednesday of every month. If anyone wants to come, the, the instructions of how to get online with us are right on the website. Uh, and that's a very fun and free thing and just offers you some companionship. Sure. Um, people who are suffering the same way you're suffering. <laughs> I know I always like to hear about other writers who are struggling because I'm always beating my head against the wall trying to figure out what to do next. It's a wonderful affirmation to know you're not alone in your pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> writing is a lonely business. It can be, but but Odyssey Writers Workshop is doing a wonderful job in, in taking some of that loneliness away. Uh, that salon is brilliant. I remember you talking about that at the last recording, and I thought that was an inspired uh, step towards fostering that community and building that network of support that, that takes away, as you as you observe, some of the loneliness of, of the writer's craft. So that's outstanding, Gene. Uh, friends, obviously all of that stuff is going to be in the liner notes, uh, but if you're listening now and you just can't wait, you know, hit the Googles. Go to, what's the website for Odyssey Writers Workshop, Gene? It's odysseyworkshop.org. There you go. Because it is a nonprofit, uh, uh, there are valuable resources up there. There's opportunities for the winter session, which all sound fabulous. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I feel elevated just having you virtually here, Gene. I feel I feel like we're ennobled somehow, that we're doing good works here. Should I mention the workshop at all? Oh, there's, there's more? Yes, please, by all means. 
So this summer we have our six-week workshop. Right. It's going to be June 5th to July 14th. Very excited about this session. We had such a great workshop last summer. We had a really exciting thing happen. One of the students, just as the workshop was starting, sold her trilogy to HarperCollins. Oh, my God! Awesome. Ah! And then she was, like, in a huge panic because, you know, she had to do some revisions, and she had book two due and didn't even have any book two yet. (laughs) So it was great because we were able to kind of help her work through that. I was going to say the timing on that was Perfect. My God, you need to do all this stuff. And look, you're surrounded by professionals who can help you do all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Almost as if she could see into the future. Almost. Almost. Yeah. That's outstanding. What's the deadline for signing up for the workshop? Uh, The deadline is April 8th. And we have all the information about this summer on the website now. Uh, We've got some great guests, uh, including David Brin. A New York Times bestseller, and um, we've got a great literary agent for fantasy and science fiction. His name is Mark Gottlieb, and he's one of the top agents in the field. So it will be great to hear from him. He's going to give his advice on writing query letters. Uh, and that's so, one of the awesome things about the summer workshop. You bring in some astonishing guests. You know, David Brin is freaking awesome. And last last year you had Mary Robinette Kowal, right? Yes. Yeah, she was terrific. She she made little puppets, and <laughs> she's a puppeteer as well as a writer. So sure. it was really interesting to see how the the use of the puppets informed her characterization of characters in her stories. Sure. Well, and and that whole intersection of of craft and creativity, you know, as you start bringing in different crafts above and beyond just writing and storytelling, but puppetry or video or audio, anytime you start weaving in additional, I don't know, threads, I guess, of, of storytelling format, it changes and evolves the way that that story gets told. And that inevitably leads to some sort of illumination, I would assume. Yes, and I think you see it from a different perspective, and so you're able to add different elements that you wouldn't even think of. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. So the winter workshop's coming up, the summer workshop coming up as well. Uh, Another fabulous year for for, uh, 2017 is going to be an awesome year for the Odyssey Writers Workshop. And and Jean, let's have you back again in the spring so we can speak more of the of the upcoming summer thing. Can we can we just put that on the books now? Terrific. Yes. (laughs) I I love uh, I love to relax in the froth. There you go. And, and I are, can only get it here. So. That's we are the froth merchants. It's true. It's it's what we do. <laughs> I, I, I try to recreate the froth on my own, but it just it, it pops. It's, it's unsuccessful. You need you need to bring me in out as a guest. I will I will I will I will lead a, a froth session. Uh, uh, how how to froth in your creative endeavors. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, let's let's dive into our 20 minutes. Let's talk about some of that froth and some of that craft. And, and Gene, I know I did this last time, but it's, it was so enlightening. I'm, I'm going to do it again. Can you give our listeners 
a, a, a taste, a tidbit, one one bullet point of your upcoming session on writing dialogue? Because I know if, if there is like this holy trinity of, of things that people freak out about in their writing, it's dialogue, character, and world building. Those those three things become this, this, this oh my God, wall before them. Um, so your workshop on dialogue is going to be an incredible asset. Can you can you entice us with one shred of of one jewel that you're going to be sharing with your class in that workshop? Sure. Okay. Um, so in some of the great conversations I've seen in fiction, what happens is there is a shift. Things are different at the beginning of the conversation and at the end of the conversation. And often it's a shift in power. So one person starts out having maybe some power and then loses that power or they gain more power. Uh, so we see that this relationship between the two characters who are speaking is really a conflict. It's a disguised conflict. Even if they're friends, it should be some sort of conflict. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. You know, if it's small talk, like I love what in Seinfeld when they are writing that pilot episode and their dialogue is like, hi, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Because in a real Seinfeld episode, they never had that time. All of that, which is called handshaking dialogue, where you're just kind of passing the time and you get right to the point. So anyway, you want to show that there's some sort of conflict and there's some sort of winner and some sort of loser so that the situation shifts between the beginning of the conversation and the end. It's not just people exchanging information, which you see a lot in fantasy and science fiction. Oh, the aliens seem to be a collective unit. Oh, isn't that interesting? And what should we do about that, right? Um, we want to have somebody who thinks the aliens should be killed and somebody who thinks the aliens should be embraced, right? And then sure. we have a, a good dialogue where we can have a winner and a loser. Um, and even if the people involved are friends or even if they seem to just, just be hanging around at the tavern, passing the time, there's something going on underneath it. And the author has to make sure that that something is going on and that it's significant. Can we explore um, that I, just a little bit, Gene? Because I, I see exactly what you're saying. I think that the notion of a power dynamic, sh a shifting power dynamic in the context of dialogue is inspired. And I can see how that works when your your adversaries or, or competitors, you know, even friendly competitors. But how, how do you gauge that power shift when the two people talking are like lovers or best friends or allies? Well, if each one has a goal, so maybe they are their friends, but one wants the other one to say, you know, Jane wants to go to the movies and Joe wants to stay home and watch the football game. Right? So okay. they can be lovers or friends, but they each have a goal. And so then, how are they going to go about getting that goal? What are their tactics in the conversation? So that is a way to characterize a person. Do they just come out and say it? You know, gee, I really would like to go see this movie. 
can we go do that, please, for once instead of doing what you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly Um, we have conflict. (laughs) Or do they beat around the bush, you know, oh, do you really want to see that football game? Or, you know, maybe you'd like to get out of the house or let's explore some of the different things we might do, right? But even in that person who's being roundabout, um, there is still conflict and it will build, right, over the course of the conversation. Sure, sure. It it sounds like the key then is to make sure that the conversations are linked intimately to that, and you invoke the word, the goals, the objectives, the, 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 the things that each character is striving for on a deeper level rather than just these are the plans that we're doing tonight, but it is also a, a microcosm of our relationship or my worldview or something along those lines. Right. We always want to have each character having a goal in every scene and struggling to achieve the goal. And then we further have what is the dynamic of this relationship and how is it evolving over the course of the story. Right. Right. Well, and see, one of the one of the benefits of having a, a celebrated author as my co-host is I can ask her questions about this too. And Maria, have you noticed in your writing? Are you are you cogent in your writing uh, when you're dealing with dialogue of this this dynamic power play that's going on? Definitely, and and I I really like the way you described a lot of it, Jean, because I find my own learning curve with dialogue was very similar to yours, where I, a lot of time dialogue can be used. Uh, I find even in some books I'm reading where it's just revealing something about the character, but usually it's used to just reveal their wit almost. Like, look at how clever this line is, and wasn't that funny, which can work sometimes. But it's when you start to really look at the power play of dialogue, which is how do I change the beginning, my story, or at least some of the, the, the basic tension between either characters or the actions they're going to do or the decision points they're going to make based on the beginning of this conversation conversation where we were at and then bring it through some yes witty dialogue and all that good stuff whatever makes sense for your story to that final crescendo of the conversation which can be very soft spoken sometimes or just have very underlying and not laid out um, tension but by the end of it something has changed in it and and that's where the powerhouse dialogue I find really comes into play is when you realize that it's not just filler it's not just going to reveal what cool things your characters are going to say it's actually going to change something a little bit move the action forward or the tension deeper that's when it really becomes fun so I love the way you described it which raises then questions as well in the story you know because any change any shift in that power dynamic is going to have implications and -hmm. and hopefully you've engaged the reader enough that the outcome of the, the the the, those implications are are important and relevant, and they want to see how that plays out. Exactly, exactly. And characters are, I mean, they, the big thing that's always often said about a story is that it has to be a character-driven story, right? So if, if you get to use dialogue as a way to help your characters drive that story, <laughs> including changing the power dynamics and all that, then it's a, it does change the, the strength of a story a lot. That's awesome. That's so cool. Gene, I am, I, I, friends, Gene is teaching this class. You just got a bit of, of, of gold, uh, absolutely free of charge. You're welcome. Uh, from the round table <laughs> on, on what, uh, what is going to be in there. How long is that dialogue uh, uh, session going to be, Gene? Uh, we have three classes. Uh, they're two hours each, and they're two weeks apart. So it happens uh, over about a month. Uh, the application deadline is December 21st, and then the class 
the first class is January 18th. So it goes for about a month from January to February. Excellent. And and we laid that bit of gold down in like 10 minutes. So we got three two-hour sessions, friends. This is a gold mine. Check it out. Definitely. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Gene Cavellos after this brief promotional break. Do you like listening to audio science fiction? Are you a fan of writers reading their work? My name is Mike Luoma. By day, I play tunes on the radio. The rest of the time, I'm creating science fiction and comic books. And I bring my two worlds together each week with my glow-in-the-dark radio podcast, where I read you my stuff. You hear free science fiction audio adaptations every week. And I give away the audio versions after I've podcast them, too. Free science fiction audiobooks on iTunes and at audiobooks.com. I hope you'll check out my Glow in the Dark Radio podcast or any of my free science fiction audiobooks at glowinthedarkradio.com. I'm Mike Luoma. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Gene Cavellos. I'm going to turn the mic over to my co-host because I know, uh, Marie, you've got questions for Gene as well. I do. I mean, I've, I have so many questions for Gene just because you're so awesome. <laughs> I was I was stalking you online beforehand, and I, I'd heard your name before, but the more you delve into everything you've done, it's it's amazing, uh, Gene. And you know, I have like ten questions written in front of me right now, but the one I really want to ask, and I find fantastic, is you you're really into team spirit in a way, not like in in a teeny bopper you know pom-pom type of way which would be awesome if you were by the way totally cool <laughs> um, but but you i mean you work with new authors to try to help them to hone their crafts you're an editor which is working with someone else's work as well to to really polish it and also you've written some amazing things in shared worlds as well like babylon 5 and the ability to be able to work so well not just in your own construct but to bring your voice to someone else's world is something that I find absolutely amazing. And you, to my mind, I knew your name from the Babylon 5 books, which I love. Um, <laughs> and like to my mind, you were able to bring a fresh light to an established storyline while keeping it true to its form, so satisfying to the most. Uh, how do you do that how do you adapt someone else's like how do you work in someone else's story like your own play field and make it uniquely yours while still maintaining that very very fresh feel of what was created before you came along oh that's a really good question um well i love babylon 5 so that was something that i enjoyed doing so much and it was such a great honor to be able to create you know my own little corner of that universe. Um, so I think the first step, if you're going to uh, work in, in a situation like that where you're collaborating uh, on something that, ha- that pre-exists your own story, is to get really, really familiar and just, you know, um, immerse yourself in that world, those characters, the way they speak, the way they move, the type of stories that they tell, the type of themes that they have. Um, so I had already done a lot of that just because I love the show, <laughs> uh, but I did more of it, particularly watching episodes that related to the books that I was going to write. 
um, and the characters that I was going to be using so that I could be really, really familiar and take a lot of notes and all of that. Um, but I think what I enjoyed most about the process is that it's like there's a jigsaw puzzle and there's a few pieces missing from the jigsaw puzzle that I ha I'm creating those missing pieces so that the outlines of the pieces have to match with what exists, what Babylon 5 has provided me. But the interior, you know, the colors have to kind of go, but I can put my own picture into those pieces as long as it fits with the bigger picture. Um, and that's what I love because what I've read so many times from other artists and writers is that limitations force you to be more creative. And so for me, working within that universe imposed many, many limitations. You know, this, the story had to end this way with these characters still alive and those characters dead, so it would be consistent, right? And there had to be a space station named Babylon 5. So there are all these limitations to the story. But then there was great freedom to work within those limitations. And sometimes, you know, I cursed the limitations. It's like, oh, why can't I just have this happen? It would be so brilliant. Oh, my God, everyone would love it. And I, I kind of realized, well, I can't. And then I would come up with something else that would fit within those jigsaw outlines. And it would be like a million times better. Because the first thing that I thought was so brilliant is kind of like the first thing any author would think of, right? Like, right. kidnap the girlfriend, right? <laughs> really not an inspired idea. But since you're forced to work within these constrictions, then you have to be more creative. And so I found, uh, you know, myself railing against those things, but then being thrilled by coming up with something that I never would have come up with because I had those limitations. Sure, and that existing canon also provides a framework for you to build on, and without that canon, without that framework, then that awesome plot twist or, or this incredible denouement just wouldn't have anything to stand on. Right, Very right. cool. I'm, I'm intrigued by that perception of a missing jigsaw piece, because that really kind of speaks to what Marie was asking about, that unique mm -hmm. quality to it, because you're the only, well, I mean, not the only person, but you, as a writer, bring your vision, your perception, and your questions to each project that you sit down to. You're the only one who saw that that piece was missing. And that, I think, is kind of the fun and the excitement of working in a shared world is, you know, maybe nobody else noticed that this thing has never been explored at all, and I get to show it to you. How cool is that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I hope nobody else thought of it. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, you know, you're racing to write it. You go, oh, my gosh, if anyone else. Now it seems so obvious, right, once you think of, of it. Of course, of course. It's canon now, everyone right? thinking of it. <laughs> yep. Well, and, and even if they had, uh, and, and that can never be a paralyzing thing because you, even if they have thought about it, they haven't thought about it to the depth and, and intricacy uh, and complexity that you have in the writing, the crafting of that tale. Uh, so even if they had thought about it, it's like, ooh, I was wondering about that. Oh my God, this is so cool. So it's a win, win, win all the way around. <laughs> I think I was really fortunate too in the, um, the, the subjects that I was able to write about with those Babylon 5 books. Uh, I mean, the first one that I did is about mainly about Anna Sheridan, who's an archaeologist. And so she's a scientist um, who gets into a very bad spot. And I have a science background. 
so I really could relate to her, and I love writing about everybody dying, so it was really right up my alley, <laughs> uh, which is why I proposed doing this story, as I just um, was really drawn to it. And then the, the trilogy I wrote in the Babylon 5 universe was about the techno-mages, uh, again, these um, guys who mix science, uh, well, use advanced science to make it appear as if they're doing magic, which is, you know, a lot like science and a lot like writing. You sure. Know, you, you create a story, you're trying to create something magical and not have the apparatus by which you are creating it obvious to the people who are reading it. That's very meta. <laughs> very cool that's awesome Gene we're, we're running out of time and I, and I do want to ask this one question there, there's, there has been a recurring theme uh, uh, with all of your visits here at the round table uh, uh, and that is Fatal Spiral the ongoing quest, your own literary gold that you are pursuing. Uh, uh, and, and since you came on a couple of years ago, each time you've come on, you've, you've given us an update on, on not only the, the status of the project, which we're all interested in, but also uh, uh, the new things that you've learned as you've progressed through these various stages of, of taking a, a truly epic uh, a story arc. Uh, uh, with some very profound implications, I think, and working through it into its final form. And and I wanted to make sure we got a chance to, to touch base with you. How wh- what is the status of of Fatal Spiral? And and where where are what what's what's the most recent gem of of insight that that experience has given you? Oh man, I've learned so much writing this <laughs> book. Um, Said every writer all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's a near-future science thriller, and the first thing I learned is don't write anything set in the near future, because (laughs) the present keeps catching up to you, and that's not good. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I invented all this great technology, and then some telepath somewhere has read it out of my mind and created it, and now I have to create new technology. There you go. I have a, a nice foil hat that I wear. <laughs> my ideas. Protect your ideas. <laughs> so the status is um, that uh, I wrote a draft, I revised the draft, I sent it out to a bunch of people, writers, scientists of different kinds, uh, to get feedback. I got a ton of great, great feedback. I put it all into one gigantic file of things to fix, and I'm now working my way through fixing all of those things. Oh, wow. Um, one big thing that I learned uh, in addressing what I think are two of the weakest chapters, I'm, I'm, I knew all along that I'm, I'm not good with opening Uh, I'm kind of a slow open. It's like a roller coaster creaking up to the top of the the hill, and then it pretty much works like crazy. But you got to get to the top of the hill, right? So I've been working on revising some of these earlier chapters, and a concept that I learned about when I was about halfway through revising the draft was the concept of the emotion arc. And I didn't know about this when I was revising the first half of the book. So as I go back and look at it, I go, wow, these scenes don't have any strong emotion arcs. And I think maybe that's part of why it kind of is not grabbing people right up front. So an emotion arc is a technique used by actors uh, in which you 
think about trying to focus on one emotion or it can be a set of emotions, but it needs to be like a consistent thing, consistent emotion that would gain in intensity over the course of the scene. So a character might go from content to happy to joyous to ecstatic um, or, you know, might go the reverse way mm. from ecstatic to joyous to happy to despondent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, if you have your character's emotions changing all the time, like, you know, I'm having a conversation and, oh, this makes me laugh and then that makes me cry and then I'm worried about this other thing. It has no strong emotional effect on the reader and it feels very unfocused. So if you can focus in on this one emotion uh, and then have it either build or decline in intensity, but hopefully build, can be a negative emotion that's building. It doesn't have to be positive. That can bring the scene together, unify it, focus it, and create more emotional impact for the reader. You can also have an emotion switch. So say I'm I'm calm, and then I become happy, and then I become joyous, and then I realize that my boss who just offered me a raise is now coming on to me, and so now I'm going to have an emotion switch and go, you know, to unhappiness, fear, rage, rage, right, whatever. So I'm going to switch to a different emotion, and hopefully then that one would build in intensity. So you can, you don't want to switch too many times in a scene, but you could do like one switch, and that would help dramatize and clarify that moment, right? That moment of realization where the character realizes, oh my gosh, I just got that raise because he wants, he wants to come on to me. Right. Um, but you yeah, can't, you so, can't, that's a powerful tool. You can't do that every scene. Can you, or, or can you? Well, I think you, you know, you don't want to have these being from very low to very high in every scene. That would feel very <laughs> weird and repetitive and not good. Yeah. Um, so in some scenes, it may not be a big emotional something or other, but there could still be some focus, uh, and there might be only a mild increase in the emotion. So as you're examining your scenes, and and you yeah. know both for dialogue and for events that are happening, are you are you actually you know deconstructing where the emotional turning points are you saying okay here's where they go from this emotional state to that emotional state is is that your your editorial process yes okay so usually at the beginning of the scene i try to i have these certain questions i ask myself that i paste in at the top of each scene that i'm working on (laughs) and so it'll say like emotion what's the emotion arc is one of the things and so it could be from uh concerned to very worried Okay, Um, and this is like my opening scene. It started with the protagonist being worried. Then she went about her business and like explained a bunch of sciencey stuff. (laughs) And then she got worried again. And I'm like, that's not working. What I need to do is flip that so she can explain some sciencey stuff and hopefully be interesting enough that people don't stop reading and then get concerned and then get worried and then get more worried. Right? So you escalate, and, okay. Uh, you escalate rather than having this dip in the middle and everybody's like, oh, I don't like this dip in the middle. It's not interesting. They didn't quite express it that way, but that's what they were really responding to. 
That's intriguing that. because because so many of us I know when we read our when we read our own work, uh, uh, there there needs to, you need to cultivate this this objectivity which is very I think hard to do uh, as as you're starting out in your craft. We we read a scene and you know on some level we have an instinct this needs work, but not knowing how to what's wrong with this scene I don't know what you've given us right there is is a way to gauge one of the many things that that can be fixed or repaired or massaged or fostered in a scene but giving us some very tangible tools to identify uh, uh, some of the problems that may be occurring in our scenes that's fabulous thanks and one of the one of the things I fixed in addition to flipping the low point to the front was also making things get worse so that like there was reason for her to get more worried. What I had originally started with was like something happened that caused the big worry. Whereas now it starts with something that makes her mildly concerned, right? And then something else happens that causes more worry. So it is not only is her emotion escalating, but the events are escalating. So it and the better stakes. justifies the emotions. Right. Yes. Stakes. Stakes. Excellent. So, so what's your what's your prognosis now for Fatal Spiral? How are we looking forward? Uh, well, we are looking forward to hopefully dealing with all of these amazing, wonderful suggestions and comments that I've gotten. Uh, maybe by April or so. Uh, I am slow, and it is long, and there's a lot of comments. <laughs> well, and you are kind of busy, too, running an awesome workshop thing, so, you know, forgiven. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you, you'll, you'll forgive me if I inserted the we in there, but it kind of feels like our project now. <laughs> just a, oh, just a little bit. <laughs> Very cool. It's all your fault, too. I know, right? I'll own that. I'll own that. If it brings out a fabulous story into the world, I'll I'll shoulder that burden, Gene. I'll totally do it. (laughs) Well, look, guys, the the, the clock has boarded a Greek trireme, and and it's it's wheeling the catapults filled with Greek fire pointed directly at me. Uh, And that was my whole Odyssey play thing there was kind of a nice. kind of obtuse actually but that, you get the idea <laughs> I can only assume that means that we are out of time Gene uh, 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 as always this has been a delight uh, thank you so much and I, I'm so very much looking forward to having you back again in the spring let's just make this a regular thing shall we as a prelude to the Odyssey workshops launchings let's get you on the round table to, to, to talk some craft and froth a bit shall we I would love frothing with you <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you so much, ma'am. Uh, Marie, you. yeah, you bet. Uh, there, there was there was gold there. There was pearls. There was jewels. Treasure was strewn about in that 20-esque minutes. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time picking what my what my high point is. What about you? You know, I there was so much to pick from. I, I'm going to have to go with, and I love this idea that... Um, even when you have limitations, you can totally level up regardless and knock whatever you're doing out of the park. Mm-hmm. 
And I think not just with writing, like she mentioned it with shared world writing, but I think with life in general, we are all limited in one way. Does that mean we cannot find a way to make it work and make it even more awesome? Yes. That's what I'm going to go with. I think that's a strong one. And, and yeah, and, and honestly, really, if you think about any of these big writerly lessons, they also kind of equate to life as well. Uh, <laughs> Isn't we, it great? We are like life engineers, we writer types. That's that's fabulous. <laughs> and and the, the thing that kind of popped out for me was, was the from the same area of conversation, uh, uh, the notion of, of the missing jigsaw piece in a, in a shared world framework. But again, you can broaden that to, you know, the genre in particular. Each of us as writers, uh, uh, you know, we're always looking for a way to distinguish ourselves, to, to bring a, a fresh, exciting story to the market and to the people and the readers. And the thing that is going to make your story unique and fresh and exciting is not redoing what someone else has already done. It's going to be that unique perspective that you bring, that unique question that only you can ask. And and whether it's in a shared world framework, then, oh God, what story am I going to tell? Well, ask yourself, what, where, where are you, where are your questions? Where is your interest? Where are you wondering? Where's your curiosity? Uh, that unique reflection of your own aesthetic is, I think, the foundation that every writer can depend upon as the 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 the, the platform upon which you will launch yourself into the literary firmament and shine like the star that you are. So that's beautiful. <laughs> well done, sir. Oh, thank you. Yes, golf claps all around. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friends, obviously, we're a very somber and, and serene bunch here at the round table, and that was a very somber and serene conversation. Not. Uh, uh, that was awesome. And, and here's the cool thing. In seven days, you come back to this same podcast channel, uh, and we're going to have Gene back. We're going to have Marie back. I will be here. We will add to the mix a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who will set the table. No, no, he'll fill the pool for our brainstorming froth so that we can have lots of bubbles and things going on and there will be a brainstorm to shake the pillars of heaven. Uh, it will be fabulous, but it's also going to be seven days from now and that's a long damn time. Marie, what can our listeners do between now and seven long days from now uh, to make that time productive and just fly by? Well, I I feel very strongly about this. Um I think that over the next seven days, everybody should try to do two things. Um, one is you should try to find or make a perfect ginger snap cookie. <laughs> that is important. That is very important. And then once you have found this perfect ginger snap ginger snap cookie and you are lovingly ingesting it and just letting it fill your senses with beautiful flavoring you should take at least 15 minutes a day and do just a little bit of writing even if it's just taking your story out for a date you should definitely spend some time with it <laughs> see now i'm just going to put a pin in that because i want to know how you take your story out for a date that's intriguing. We'll talk about that in another time. That's just, I'm just going to put a pin in that. <laughs> That's fabulous. Very cool. And friends, I will tell you, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the, oh, hell yeah. Look for the, wow, I really didn't expect that. And if you look for that shit, you will find it and it will inspire you. Uh, we will be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.